I'd like to talk this evening about relaxing into the now. Quite often we have a lot of, in this culture anyways, there are many convention, conventional notions or associations with what we mean by relaxation. I think that's one of the reasons why we often don't use that word in this tradition because the kind of relaxation that we talk about in this practice anyways is really significantly different, significantly deeper than conventional notions. All we have to do is open up a magazine sometime and look through the ads or turn on the TV and watch the commercials. And I often find the ads and the commercials at least as interesting as some of the other stuff that's on. And it tells a lot about our culture. Tells us a lot about our desires, our aspirations, our concepts of success and failure, of happiness and unhappiness. And certainly this notion of relaxation, you know, I think as the world becomes a much more stressful place to live in, um, you know, more and more there's a greater and greater and larger and larger industries are created uh, to generate different uh, avenues, different vehicles for uh, relaxation to kind of escape the stress of everyday life. Different kinds of uh, conventional notions, uh, certainly like in, in yogi land anyways, when, when one begins to pay attention to one's body, uh, one of the first things that one encounters, of course, is body tension. And so when we talk about relaxation and we think about it, a lot of times we think about being free of body tension. And quite often that becomes a goal. I'll, I'll get to that in later in the talk, but a goal is to, to release that tension so that we can relax. Uh, oftentimes, uh, notions of uh, re- relaxation have to do with kind of you know, leaving your troubles behind. You know, there's a lot of songs, actually, uh, popular songs that have that theme of always kind of leaving your troubles behind, moving on, forgetting your problems. You know, and there are, of course, so many different ways where we can sort of escape our discontent and, and, and uh, discover at least some temporary forms of relaxation and certainly the whole um, area of entertainment. You know, there's just this endless expression of TV, movies, music, Internet, cell phones. All of them, of course, are sources um, of relaxation for us, sources of distraction. The problem with this relying, anyways, on these conventional notions of relaxation or these conventional vehicles is that they're conditional. In other words, we experience, we only experience relaxation under those conditions. We turn the TV on, we begin to relax. Maybe we go for a walk, we begin to relax. We turn on some music, we begin to relax. We go on vacation, and we begin to relax. And, though, and so one gets a sense of just how impermanent that is. And another problem with relying solely on, on these kind of activities for relaxation, let me see, lost my place here, is that not only are they conditional, but they're very, very superficial. In fact, in many ways, what they do is they take up a lot of energy, they deflect our attention. Collect our attention towards more important things. Now, I don't want to devalue going to the movies 
watching TV because I, I do all these things too and I enjoy them. Um, so it, it's not in the activity itself, but it's rather our relationship to the activity, how we use these activities. And so often what we do is we, 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 we use them often as a substitution, and they're a very poor substitution for a sense of inner contentment. You know, we're, we're so conditioned so often to look outside of ourselves for contentment, uh, looking towards others or towards other forms of entertainment or towards uh, relationships or, or just always looking at outside conditions as a source of happiness. And of course, this creates a great deal of tension in our lives, deep tension in our lives. We find ourselves often in conflict because the conditions in our life are not under our control. That's a fact. Insight meditation doesn't change that. It doesn't change the ways of the world, the ways of conditions. They're not in our control. And so if we solely rely on conditions for a sense of inner peace, relaxation, it's a setup. It's a setup for frustration, uh, tension, and discontent. So the kind of relaxation that I'd like to talk about tonight, of course, is a deeper form of relaxation. It's a relaxation that comes out of training, out of Dharma practice. And this kind of relaxation is a relaxation of inner freedom. Inner freedom. And when we talk about inner freedom, we're talking about inner freedom, a relaxation in the mind, in the face of changing conditions. In the face of changing conditions. And so the direction that we go in Dharma practice is this deep relaxation in peace, which is not conditional. It's unconditional. And that's why it's freedom. It's not freedom if it's conditional. We only can hold on to it for a little while, and even in the holding on to it, it creates tension. It doesn't really provide us with a, a reliable refuge. And so what we learn in Dharma practice is that the, re- the only reliable refuge is within us. The only reliable refuge is our wisdom, our understanding. Our understanding of what the nature of our suffering is and what the path to liberation is. That's a reliable refuge. Seeing clearly, understanding, awareness. Because in any of these activities that I've been talking about, entertainment, other, other notions, vacations, all of them can be sources of liberation if we bring awareness to them. That's the point. It's to bring awareness into all activities, and those activities are transformed. They no longer adjust and escape. Temporary relief from your stress, but it's a place to learn. Vacations are wonderful learning places. Watching TV, you can learn a lot about yourself. You can learn a lot about society and a lot about yourself. If the mind is quiet, attentive, observing. It doesn't cut into necessarily the pleasure of it. But there's a learning. There's a learning process that's going on. So tonight I'd like to talk about a couple of different aspects of this path of inner freedom, this relaxing into the now, this process of uh, relaxation. A couple of things I want to talk about, first of all, is attitude. You know, Larry 
really, in many ways, that's what Larry was addressing, I think, the essence of what he was addressing last night is this attitude in practice that's so crucial. For the last seven or eight years or so, I've been practicing with this Chan master. Some of you may know him at Sheng Yen. His center's in New York and a retreat center in upper state New York, mid-state New York. And uh, every year we go on retreat and sit with them. And, of course, the, the conditions have changed. They've improved dramatically. You know, everybody has an individual room now, just like you. Uh, but it took many years, actually, before that happened. Uh, it used to be that the conditions were there would be, like, 40 men living in one room, sleeping in one room. They would be, it was the meditation hall. We'd be sleeping on the floor together. Not a lot of room between bodies, let's just put it that way. Um, and it was extremely, extremely noisy. You know, people would be having nightmares on a regular basis. You would hear men shouting and screaming, both in Chinese and English. <laughs> the Chinese was easier, actually, because you, you had no idea what... I had no idea what they were talking about, which I felt like was a good thing. You know, all the other bodily sounds that arise, <laughs> as you can imagine. Uh, and so it was a struggle just to get to sleep. You'd be really tired, exhausted, but you'd lay down and just the conditions were not, let's just say, conducive uh, for a restful sleep. And just as you were sinking off, this, this, this feeling happened so often in these retreats, just as when I, I probably had been asleep for a while, but it felt like I had just closed my eyes. And somebody would come by with two boards (laughs) right by your head and start smashing the board together. And you'd hear this big whack sound. And it took me years before I could just let that sound pass through. I used to have such an aversive reaction. It was the worst moment of the day. It was this bored sound. It was just a horrible sound. And it was right next to your head. And you, of course, were really tired. Um, so, in even these conditions, there are a lot worse conditions, actually, than what we, than what we had. But they're, they're challenging, certainly a little, bit, a little bit more challenging than the conditions here, even though... I know the conditions can be challenging here, too, um, not to compare them. Um, but inevitably, Sheng Yen, some point in the middle of the retreat or so, would say, you know, this retreat is like a vacation. And we would sit there and think, this isn't my idea of a vacation. <laughs> I don't know what kind of vacations he's used to, but <laughs> my notion is a little, a little easier, let's put it that way, a little bit more pleasant. So when he would t- say it was a vacation, it got people thinking, and, and it made us kind of look at the experience. And of course, he would explain himself a little bit about what he meant, and really what he was pointing to was attitude, a big part of it anyways, was attitude and practice. The attitude that one takes in meeting the conditions that one inevitably encounters and I mean inevitably encounters along the way. 
whether it's the monkey mind, the incredibly repetitive thoughts, the sleepiness, the restlessness, the boredom, the self-doubt, the discouragement, the physical pain. All of these challenges, one one meets along the way. When we begin to hang out with ourselves, uh, most of us are not in that good shape, actually. We arrive at a retreat center with a lot of troubles, and and, we've accumulated a lot of stuff along the way. Uh, A lot of baggage, a lot of tension, a lot of suffering. And so the attitude that Cheng Yin was encouraging when he would describe the retreat as a vacation, he pointed really both to the attitude and the practice itself. And the attitude is one of being more allowing of what is arising. In other words, the practice is to give space, inner space, to what arises no matter what it is. No matter what it is. That's the practice. The practice wasn't about having a particular experience that we would judge as good or judge as bad, but it was more how we are relating to that experience. And if one cultivates this capacity, and all of us have this ability, and I'll get to that in a few minutes, if we cultivate this capacity to be more allowing, life becomes significantly, significantly easier. Significantly easier. Because a lot of our struggles and a lot of our pain in the mind is that we have a particular agenda. We don't want what's happening to happen. Or if something good is happening, we want it to last. And we develop agendas. We get very attached to those experiences. You know, one very common thing we run into at CIMC, and this experience actually often brings people to their first retreat, which is one begins to meditate and one feels kind of peaceful. And the mind might, you know, have a few moments where it's really focused and it's really quiet. There's a lot of inner contentment, sense of not needing anything, you know, that sense. I'm sure everybody in this room has had that moment where you realize it's, you know, it's here. It's not anywhere else. And so one has that moment. Then one sees that, you know, let's cultivate this. Let's move more in this direction. And so people begin to practice. And then... Three or four months go by, and sometimes when people come on retreat, first couple of days, they keep waiting for that experience to come back. You know, and they keep wanting it, more and more of it. And, uh, and of course, that whole notion of wanting to get it back. Most of us are, very, can be, are quite guilty of this, if we look at it. We want that experience back. We feel a little bit concentrated in the sitting. If it feels a little bit peaceful, we want it back. We don't just let it go. And then we start thinking about what we need to do to get it back. And one can see the non-relaxation in that. One can begin to experience the suffering. Even though the experience was wonderful, it, it reflected a certain kind of freedom, one that's necessary to experience, you know, to generate some faith or confidence along the way. But at the same time, as soon as one attaches to that experience, the suffering starts. The suffering starts. So often, uh, 
in our practice, and certainly this happens on retreat, we get very attached to the project mind. And the projects we get into on retreat, they're much more subtle, actually, in some ways, than some of the projects that we get into in the outer world in our sort of everyday life. The projects often are like fixing oneself. You know, we want to improve. We don't want to be that same person that arrived at the door at IMS. We want to go home transformed. We also want to show everybody how transformed we are. And uh, we're already planning that probably. Um, <laughs> we spend project of analyzing and figuring out and problem solving. That's a very common prob- uh, very common uh, dynamic, very common project that we can get attached to on, on retreat, which is you know, just kind of trying to get to the bottom of something and, and using the retreat as a way of coming to a new decision or, or figuring something out. Uh, or planning something, planning your life is another common way that retreats get used. Uh, even planning your next retreat. Um, in the middle of, or even at the beginning of a retreat. Uh, and then when it doesn't go well, plans kind of fall apart. Uh, so letting go of the project mind, you know, making this commitment to be here. You know, essentially, that's all Larry and I are asking, is make that commitment over and over again just to be here. That's it, just to be here. Don't go anywhere else. When you go somewhere else, notice it, be aware of it and you're back here. Because we trust, and I'm sure many of you do too, we trust the present moment. We trust awareness. That bringing awareness into the present moment is going to be enough. That's the path to liberation. So all we need to do is keep coming back to the present moment with attention, with a different relationship to the present moment. Rather than thinking the present moment should or shouldn't be, that it should be something or it shouldn't be something. Beginning to relate to the present moment as enough. This is it. I'm feeling sleepy. How to relate to this in a way that leads to freedom? Through skillful means, but certainly the attitude we want to develop is to be allowing of that mind that's sleepy. Not to sit back in judgment or compare ourselves to the person next to us, or sitting there making evaluations, telling ourselves what a waste of time it is. Not getting caught up in it, but simply, it's sleeping. So maybe you stand up, maybe you don't. No big deal. It's no great tragedy to be sleepy or restless. It's very common, it's natural. It's a condition of the human mind, as Larry pointed out last night. The untrained mind, anyways. So we get attached to early experiences of peace, and and that becomes part of the agenda. We also often get attached to notions of success and failure. This is something huge in this culture. It's not huge in other cultures, necessarily. It's not inherent in in the human condition to be deeply attached to success and failure or notions of success and failure. But in this culture, it's ingrained, deeply conditioned in us, uh, the sense of succeeding or failure. If, if, if it's a peaceful sitting, it's successful. If it's not a peaceful uh, sitting, it's, a, it's not successful. And so often the mind will do that over and over again. And it does not reflect the truth. It does not reflect the truth of the experience. 
One can be dealing with very difficult conditions in the mind, and the practice can be extremely creative. There can be a tremendous amount of insight and wisdom that comes out of working with any of these difficulties that I've listed tonight. It doesn't have to be going smoothly. It doesn't have to be going a certain way to find freedom. In fact, oftentimes, it's in the difficult conditions that we get liberated. You know, when it's smooth sailing, sometimes the mind gets lazy. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't feel forced to pay attention. We don't feel desperate enough in some ways. But when things are difficult, sometimes we'll pay more careful attention. We'll look at the suffering, which is crucial, instead of running away from it. So this process of relaxation, um, I appreciate this whole notion of letting go of the agenda, you know, and, and, and appreciate more and more the different levels and how subtle it can be in practice as practice unfolds. Because even subtle forms of an agenda, you know, whatever it might be, uh, creates suffering and tension in the mind. It keeps us out of the now. It's really the suffering of the agenda. Is it closes the mind down. It doesn't let us just open and pay attention in a fresh way. Just take a look at oneself in a fresh way. Take a look at sleepiness or restlessness or peacefulness or concentration or joy or your, or your yogi job or, or lunchtime and bringing fresh attention. See, if we have an agenda, how it's supposed to unfold you know, according to a particular schedule, a uh, particular idea of how or some preconception that we have about it, then we don't learn. We, life becomes quite habitual because of that. Kind of, the agenda actually takes the joy of the unknown, or the, the energy out of life. And so when, and when we have those moments when, uh, when we do feel very, very free and quiet and peaceful, oftentimes the agenda's not there. It's just a space that we discover on our own. We didn't really plan it. You can't plan liberation. You can't plan this relaxation or inner freedom. It's discovered in the moment itself as we let go of the agenda as we cultivate that attitude of, being, of giving space, of giving room to the experience that's arising. I think another thing that Cheng Yan was pointing to in terms of attitude, one is being very allowing, letting go of the agenda, letting go of the projects, giving the mind a break. That's in many ways, he often says, you know, let the body and mind relax. And that mental relaxation is really that process of just being with, learning how to be with the experience without the agenda. But he's also pointing to the fact uh, core teaching that, that he teaches is that everything, you hear a lot of, from us up here too, which is that whatever, conditions you, that whatever conditions you meet, that's your practice. That's your practice. There's a tremendous amount of suffering that we can begin to let go of. A lot of tension in our minds when we actually begin to see that fact. It takes a long time to see that fact for most of us. But when we begin to see that what we encounter, 
Wherever we are, that's what our practice is. And so it's to be wholehearted in whatever you're doing, to bring wholehearted attention to wherever you are, whatever your mind is doing, whatever your body is doing, to be present. You know, it's a non-fragmented approach to practice. It's very freeing when we can begin to do that because we stop blaming sometimes. We start taking more responsibility for our own happiness and suffering instead of always looking at conditions outside of ourselves as the source of our unhappiness. It's energizing to begin to see that, yeah, I'm facing this difficulty. It really is an opportunity to practice. I might not know how to get there. I might not know what, what is skillful in this, what's, what's going to liberate me, but I'm going to investigate it. I'm going to take it up as a practice. Uh, so when, when I do meet those obstacles... I don't try to run away from them. Take them up. That's what practice is. Practice isn't just sitting and walking. As important as sitting and walking is, it's your life. Very freeing to make that commitment and to see that clearly. So fortunately for us, everybody in this room, everybody outside of this room. We have an innate quality within us that allows us to be more present. It allows us to begin to live a life not based on habit. It allows us to begin to see into the nature of our experience allows us to become much more intimate with ourselves, with the conditions that we meet in our life, much more intimate with our bodies, our minds, our hearts. And this is an innate quality. You don't have to come to a meditation center to have it. Of course, the quality I'm talking about is mindfulness. And mindfulness is a very powerful form of intelligence. You know, thinking is very powerful too. And when you look at the world... Of course, the world, the conditions in the world, so many of the conditions in the world are, are creations of thought. You know, people create a lot of the conditions that they live in. Not all of them, but a lot of them. You can just see how powerful, both positive and negative. Mindfulness is more powerful than thinking. Mindfulness is more powerful than thinking. When it's developed, when it's cultivated, when it's practiced. Because in the field of mindfulness, thought can arise in the field of mindfulness. But you can't think mindfulness. It's not the same. You can't think mindfulness. You can remember to be mindful. But mindfulness is this silent attention that's all-inclusive. Thinking is not all-inclusive. Thinking is conditioned. Mindfulness is all-inclusive. With practice, any experience that arises can be seen in the field of mindfulness. Mindfulness is this silent, loving attention to the here and now, to what our experience is. It allows us to see things and to be with things just as they are. Period. Just as they are. Thinking doesn't generally do that. Our thinking analyzes, figures out, strategizes, compares, evaluates, criticizes, rejects, 
clings, has all sorts of reactions and ideas about the experience, all sorts of assumptions about it, whether it's good or bad, lots of value judgments. Mindfulness doesn't do that. It meets pain, it meets pleasure, it meets worry, it meets joy, with silent attention. That's what it is. It doesn't criticize, it doesn't judge. And so that, that's a very, very powerful form of intelligence because that enables us to be more allowing of our experience, to meet those difficulties without any judgment, but with loving, intent, with loving attention instead. Quality of mindfulness is open-hearted. It's a beautiful quality. This open-hearted attention. You know, the attention that doesn't reject. It's not closed. It's open. You know, it's open to learning. It's open to seeing. It's open to being. Sometimes when we begin to practice mindfulness, whether it's with the breathing practice or whether it's with daily activities, a lot of times mindfulness feels self-conscious. We hear this quite a bit. You know, like there's somebody observing the breathing or somebody observing the person who's vacuum cleaning or or somebody who's observing the dishwasher or whatever the yogi job might be or somebody who's eating. And so mindfulness is kind of Sometimes I think at the beginning of mindfulness practice, it almost intensifies that feeling of separation. But as mindfulness strengthens, as we begin to get a little more comfortable, as we get a sense of what mindfulness means, which is just silent attention. It's not thinking. There's no observer there. It's just receiving the experience. It's being there in the here and now. As mindfulness gets stronger, uh, that that begins to dissolve, that sense of separation of self-consciousness. And we become much closer to, to the experience. We, we, we develop a much more direct relationship to what we're doing uh, because we're not so preoccupied. We're not somewhere else. We're not pushing, always pushing into the next moment. Uh, so mindfulness allows us to begin to settle into what we're doing. Uh, it allows us to become, of course, much more intimate with our experience. You know, we get closer to it. Uh, there's less separation when we're practicing mindfulness. Just, we're just there. What's freeing about mindfulness is it allows us to begin to live life uh, with creativity, with a freshness, rather than just going through the motions. You know, we're very good at that, going through the motions. We're extremely bright, intelligent people. Uh, it's amazing how well we can do things without even being a tenth present. Uh, you know, we can just do remarkably complex tasks, and, and many times we're not even there when we're doing them. You know, we can take a shower, brush our teeth, uh, go to the bathroom, eat lunch. All of those are quite complex, actually. Uh, it takes a high degree of intelligence to even do those things, uh, it, or to do them well, certainly. Okay. But we can do them without even being there. We can do them planning our vacation. We can do them planning our next meal. We can do them planning our next shower. When we're going to get into the shower. So we can do that when we're very preoccupied. But what that does is it cuts into our life. It cuts into the quality of our life. It's very fragmented. There's a sense of disconnection that develops out of that. A sense of discontent 
that comes out of a mind when we're living in habit. And so mindfulness allows us to begin to let go of habit and to begin to live life in the here and now in a fresh way. So I'd like to finish up by talking a little bit about effort and practice. Because that's quite confusing, I think. It's confusing oftentimes if you're new to the practice. Uh, you know, you keep hearing, relax, relax, and be in the present, and all that kind of stuff, and you, you know, feels like hard work. Uh, of course, it is hard work. Um, but it's hard to find what wise effort is in one's practice. And everybody's a little bit different. And one has to kind of discover what wise effort is uh, for oneself. But essentially, a wise effort is the effort to be mindful, to be present, to be here and now, to pay attention. Okay, that's wise effort. But the quality of wise effort is the tricky part. The quality of wise effort is balanced effort. It's very different in many ways than the kind of effort that oftentimes is demanded of us or that we demand of ourselves. This balanced effort, the Buddha has a very a wonderful analogy when he talks about um, wise effort or balanced effort in, in that he describes wise effort as tuning the strings of a lute. And tuning the strings of the lute. If you tune the strings too tight, you wind them up too tight, it's painful to play music. You know, it hurts. You really can't play and really enjoy it for sure. The other extreme is one with too lax when the strings aren't taut enough, then, of course, it's impossible to make any kind of music out of that. And so balanced effort is finding that right tension or that right effort, that balanced effort that's not too lax and that certainly isn't on the end of striving. And different people have different uh, tendencies, let's just say. Some people tend to be too lax. In other words, one gives up very quickly. First time the mind wanders, uh, heck with the practice, and off you go for 30 minutes of thinking and planning out what you're going to do when you leave the retreat. And you know you're thinking and you don't really care because the time is going by faster, it's more interesting, uh, it's actually pleasurable, and so that's what you're gonna, how you're going to spend your time. That's too lax. <laughs> Definitely too lax. The striving model, which is something that a lot of people on retreat go because we come in with an agenda. And of course, that agenda uh, influences our effort. And so if we really want to get a lot out of this retreat, we're really going to get down to it. Uh, We're not going to budge. Uh, We're not going to leave that breath for a minute. And and if you do, you hit yourself over the head before you come back. And then you're back at that breath, and you're going to hang on to every breath that comes. Uh, and, and that's a very relaxed way of practicing, actually. Uh, not very fruitful, let us say. And, some, and as a form of practice, a kind of effort that I'm very uh, familiar with in my past anyways, uh, that incredible striving. And what, what the fruit out of striving in the long run, the fruit out of striving will be discouragement, 
doubt, frustration, and sometimes kind of burning out in practice. If you buy into that model, you've got to get it. Striving, striving, striving. Got to make, got to have a particular experience. Things got to go this way. I got to be concentrated. This is what concentration looks like. This is where I, you've read a book, so this is what you're going to get to. Uh, you know, it's got to be just like that. And that kind of striving energy, it, it, it almost inevitably, uh, you know, the mind humbles us if we pay attention to it long enough, and that's a good thing, because that gives us an opportunity to let go, and relax, and not try to control the mind through striving. Two lacks, often, as I said, has a lot to do with just indulging in fantasies. Just kind of, that world of thought is so seductive and so compelling. And just because the mind is wandering or you're getting caught up in thought, that doesn't mean that you're being too lax. Sometimes people think that. They think if their mind wanders or they drift off for a few minutes or longer even, that, that means they're being too lax. And that's not necessarily so at all. It just means that those thoughts are very powerful at that time, and they're catching you. And the reason we keep calling it a training is because it is a training and it's a practice. And the kind of balanced effort we want to make here is being both gentle and kind and patient. Okay, those are good qualities to nurture. And we can begin to nurture those right now in our practice. Patience, more kindness towards ourselves, being less judgmental and harsh when things aren't going well. We can cultivate that quality. We can, we can nurture that gentleness. At the same time, perseverance. And there's absolutely no doubt about this. It does take perseverance. It does take perseverance. If one gives up, just because one is encountering the different hindrances like restlessness or sleepiness or even self-doubt which arises, if we, if we take that as a signal, hey, this is, this is no good, I can't do this, the person next to me can, I can't. You get caught by that mental state, it undermines us, it chips away at us, and eventually we give up. And we slide into kind of a resignation. So we need to be persevering, we need to keep making that wise choice to keep coming back. And eventually, we're going to want to come back. Initially, a lot of times, we don't necessarily want to come back. We don't want to come back to that next breath. We don't want to be in the present moment. There's often a lot of resistance to it. But if one is gentle and patient with oneself, but but keeps making that wise choice to come back, eventually the mind gets quieter. It begins to settle. It has less resistance to being in the present moment. Being in the present moment becomes easier. You know, initially, it takes a lot of effort sometimes to, to be mindful or, or to keep coming back to the present. Uh, it takes, you know, it, it's hard work. But with practice, fortunately, with, with mindfulness practice, the mindfulness gets stronger so that it becomes kind of a an accessible resource, you know, something that's more natural. You know, just like thinking. You don't have to work that hard to think. Mindfulness can be that way, too. It becomes another form of intelligence, one that you, one begins to remember to do. Without telling oneself all the time, one begins to drop into the present moment. You know, the mindfulness is, is 
shaping consciousness, it's helping consciousness, it's freeing consciousness so that it does begin to relax and settle into the daily activities, settle into the moment, settle into the conditions that you're meeting in the here and now, and settle into it in a very loving, connected way. Not in a judgmental way, but in a very loving, connected way. The key is not to give up just because the mind is doing its thing, just because the wild monkey is out of control. Not to give up. And think about, you know, that, that analogy of the wild monkey, I think, is so accurate to the description of the untrained mind. And also think about that. If you, if you, I don't really want to learn how to train wild monkeys in real life, but if you were going to train wild monkeys in real life, what you definitely need is patience. You know, if you made an enemy of the monkey, you know, you sit back and you judge it and you keep criticizing the monkey and you spit at it and you hit it and you, you, know, you abuse it and you judge it, uh, that monkey is not going to cooperate. That's not going to help. Kindness, gentleness, firmness, and a sense of steadiness, that's what helps calm the monkey. That's what will help the monkey settle down. If we create an enemy out of our thinking, we create an enormous amount of tension and non-relaxation in our practice. So we need to be very allowing of the monkey mind, particularly at this stage of the retreat. Early stages, the wild monkey is pretty out of control. Okay? So we need to be patient and allowing and cultivate a friendly relationship to that monkey. At the same time, choosing, being persevering, and not indulging it not indulging it in a sense for its misbehavior, for going off, not, not conforming to what we would like it to. You know, we don't want to indulge it either. We want to just recognize the monkey when it's there. Recog- recognizing the monkey is a significant aspect of the practice. As soon as we know that the mind is somewhere else, we're actually in the present moment. We're in the present, we're doing the practice. Sometimes, I just want to finish with this. Some couple things came out of the groups today. And um, I just want to, I guess, address it. I'm not sure what I want to say about it. But um, what I know sometimes is people have kind of an accusatory relationship to their practice. I guess that's how I want to say it. It's like because the mind doesn't stop or settle or because... The same thoughts keep arising over and over again. We kind of sit back and we accuse ourselves of, of not trying or not doing the practice, not being earnest enough, or that there's something wrong with us. And I really want to put that one to rest because seeing how crazy the mind is and how repetitive and how frustrating and everything else the mind goes in, seeing that is actually the path to freedom. You know, you're seeing things clearly. That's what's going to lead to liberation. It's not that the mind is always going to be that way, but in the seeing itself, we're moving towards liberation. We're not caught as much by it. So please try not to you know, sit there just because the mind isn't quiet or it's not staying with the breath for very long and to, think, and to sit back and say, well, there's something wrong with me. You know, I can't do this. Um, I'm not earnest enough. I'm not committed enough. 
uh, I'm not able to do this. No, that, none of that is true. You have to test out the practice for a while before you can say with any certainty that, you, that this isn't the right practice or that you can't do it. And it's way too early for most of us on the retreat to, to come to that conclusion. So be patient and be very kind as, as the retreat unfolds. It will serve you well, not just here, but patience. God, we really need patience out there. Because in our everyday life, that's outside of this everyday life, um, the conditions are just so challenging. And, and if we can cultivate patience with ourselves here, cultivate patience with the conditions that we meet here, even if that was the sole benefit or fruit that came out of this retreat is we came away more patient and a little bit more kind. This, this would be such a valuable experience. Patience is a good thing, necessary. May all beings have ease of mind. May all beings discover unconditional freedom. May all beings be liberated from suffering. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.